Alrighty, welcome back to Brojo Online. I'm Dan Munro. Today we're going to be talking about intentions, the key elements to your satisfaction with your own behavior. Today we're really going to be exploring why you do things and how this impacts your quality of life. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. I've been coaching for about six or seven years at this point, and I was a probation officer for a long time before that, and I've noticed something which has led me to become obsessed with the whole concept of living by your values, which I go on about all the time, and that is that your intention is so much more important than the behavior itself. I first sort of became aware of this or started thinking about it when I worked for Department of Corrections. As a probation officer, I'd see people go to court and get sentenced uh, for crimes, particularly violent crimes. And the way the offense was categorized was in two parts. It's what you did and what they can prove you are intending to do. So, for example, you might say wounds with intent to injure. So you caused a wound, which is a category of injury, a very serious one but you only intended to injure them. So say you punch someone in the face and they fell over and cracked their head on the concrete and got brain damage. Your intention was just to punch them in the face. You you weren't trying to give them brain damage necessarily, but unintentionally they had a much more serious injury. But because you were intending, but because you were intending to injure them, you wounded them. So the intent itself is really what causes the crime. The sometimes bigger impact on the other side is unintentional and this is so often what I see is somebody engages in a behavior that on the surface might look like a good idea but it ends up being disastrous for them at least in the longer term because they didn't realize that the reason why they were doing it in the first place was misguided and unhealthy. So what I want to talk about today is how to make sure that you're doing things for the right reasons to focus less on what to do and how to do things, and more on why. Because if you get your why sorted before you even think of what to do, then what you do will probably be healthy and better aligned to giving you a high quality of life. But if you go into things blindly, if you use your autopilot to determine why you do things, which is what most people do most of the time, you end up doing the what, doing the things, in such a way that ruins your quality of life and we're going to talk a bit more in a lot of detail and examples today so behavior is essentially neutral it's intention that gives it meaning and determines the results for example me going and talking to someone is a neutral event that could be a billion different things but if i go and talk to them with the intention of neediness not only is the short-term outcome likely to be unpleasant all the people concerned but if this is a pattern of behavior if i always talk to people with neediness i'm likely to have a very low quality or non-existent social circle in the long run whereas if i go to talk to someone with the intention of say giving or impressing myself not only in the short term is that interaction likely to go better for me But in the long term, I'm likely to build up a powerful, healthy social circle if I keep using that intention. Now, what I actually say to people almost doesn't matter. It's all about why I'm going up to them in the first place that determines most of what's going to happen next. So, most people in self-development, they're really focused on the what. They're always looking up videos like how to do this and how to do that. When really, you can figure all that stuff out by trial and error and just winging it, as long as you have the right intentions. So instead of focusing on what to do and how to do it, let's talk about focusing on why you're doing things. Now, a lot of people suffer from doing the wrong things and for the wrong reasons. So not only is the behavior unhealthy, the reason they're doing it is unhealthy. So everybody's got a bit of that going on, and some people have a lot of that going on. But where I really want to focus on today is when you're actually doing kind of the right things, but for the wrong reasons. So you're doing something that you could write down on paper 
And if you didn't know the intentions, you'd say, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Like going to meet new people, for example. But because you're doing it for the wrong reason, it actually turns into an unhealthy or even toxic behavior. Obviously, this is all very subjective and opinionated, so I'll quickly give you my perception of what right and wrong means in terms of behavior, and then we'll move on to intentions. So when I say doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons, wrong things I mean like eating unhealthy or unnutritious food, lacking exercise or doing exercise very poorly or injuring yourself, not getting enough sleep, abusing drugs and substances, getting into fads and fictions around health and nutrition, binging on TV and social media and filling your brain with crap. So in terms of the kind of the health area of your life, those are what I'd call the wrong things to do. In the social area of your life, it might include hanging with really toxic or uh, discouraging people, deliberately hurting other people, committing crimes against them, lying, cheating, or just avoiding social opportunities and isolating and recluding yourself. I call that kind of wrong behavior socially. In terms of your career, your wealth, your mission, whatever you want to call it, staying at a shit job or deliberately avoiding any form of income, um, being unconscientious in your working patterns, so basically not working good, thefts, scams, deception, trying to rip people off, tolerating abuse from others in the workplace, blowing your money on shit or hoarding your money and not you know spending any of it treating it like a friend rather than a resource this is what i'd call bad behavior in the career wealth area and then hobbies you know not having any that would be kind of poor use of your time um or joining like cult fad groups that you're not even interested in or just wasting your time so we're going to talk about things in terms of these four areas physical or or health I should say probably social career and hobbies okay so that was just a quick gloss over what I think would be wrong behavior in those areas and we're not going to dwell on that and there's no point in really debating it because it's not what today's discussion is really about let's talk about right things so in general in say the health area of your life doing things right means caring for your body and your mind you know, we can empirically and scientifically deduce what is better for you and worse for you in terms of your brain and the rest of your body. So there's a lot of things that are in the right end of that spectrum. Exercise, eating nutritious food, educating yourself, rest and relaxation, meditation. There's all sorts of things that, if done for the right reasons, definitely improve your quality of life that can be proven scientifically, right? So that's what I mean by right. In terms of social life, any form of active socializing, interacting and connecting with others, building relationships with people who make your life better, or at least don't make it worse. That's what I'd say is right in the social world. In terms of your career, anything that progresses and improves your vocation, you enjoy your work, you're doing it for good reasons, or actually we'll get to that later. But you at least you enjoy it, you provide resources for yourself and your dependents. Uh, it's a good use of your time. That would be right in terms of the career space. And with hobbies, it's all about developing skills, pursuing your passions, and just enjoying life. So that's a broad brush overview of what I mean by doing the right thing. That is usually not the problem. A lot of people are doing the right things. And if you're the kind of person who listens to self-development podcasts, you're probably either doing a lot of the right things or interested in doing a lot of the right things. That's not so much the issue. The problem is a lot of people are doing a lot of the right things in these categories, but for the wrong reasons, which actually kind of turns them into the wrong things. Meaning that the thing you're doing is technically right, but you're doing it in such a way as to harm yourself, which means it's almost pointless or sometimes even making your life worse. So let's talk about some of the poor reasoning that people bring to their behavior so i want you to listen to this i want you to think about some of the things you do in uh, different areas of your life and then allow me to challenge you on the reasons why you're doing them if any of these reasons make sense to you or you think yeah that's why i do it kind of put a flag next to that because i think it's the kind of reason that will harm you and i base this on seven years of working with criminal offenders who had very miserable lives and then another seven or so years 
coaching clients to build their confidence. Okay. We'll start with social. I think the number one bad reason that people do things socially is to get approval and validation. So approval means you evoke a positive reaction emotionally from the other person, whatever you think that is. And validation is where you provoke some feedback that tells you that you're a good person. So a lot of people, the things they do socially are designed to elicit this reaction, which means you might not be doing it for any kind of integrity-based reason. You're just doing it to get that reaction. And I think that's a very bad idea. Partly because I lived like that for most of my life and got nothing from it. But also because I see so many other people doing things for these reasons and it always comes back to bite them psychologically. So a great example of this is you might be really funny, but you do it to entertain people. You're not just telling jokes for your own amusement, you're deliberately designing jokes to make other people laugh. And I don't mean that you're a professional comedian, at least that would make sense. But you're trying to be the funny guy of the group. Or maybe you're the interesting person. So you always make your stories full of extra exaggeration and details to make you seem more interesting. There's quite often a deception in seeking approval and validation. If nothing else, maybe you hide the things that you think are unattractive or uninteresting, boring, whatever. And you only show the bits of you that people tend to give a thumbs up to. Now the reason this is a bad idea is because it places your confidence in somebody else's hands. They get to decide if you're a good person. They get to decide if you like yourself or not. And 7, 8 billion people out there on the planet, every single one of them with different preferences, different tastes, and some of them might even have the agenda of making you feel bad, you're really setting yourself up for failure here. Because even if you do get that approval and validation, the high doesn't last very long before you're seeking it again. And it won't take too long before you're doing things just for approval and validation and you don't know who you are anymore. You don't know why you do things other than to get approval. Another reason that's in the same vein is to build a reputation. As you do things as a kind of personal branding message. You want people to see you a certain way and like you because of what they see. And you want that to become well known and consistent. You're building up an identity that people will approve of. So it's kind of like a long-term piece of approval-seeking work. You want to be known as something. So for me, like, I used to be the nice guy. And I'd do everything to kind of contribute to the nice guy image. I was constantly being nice to stack up as many nice points against my name as possible with the intention that should anyone talk about me behind my back, they would be saying, Dan's a nice guy. Same problems with seeking approval as in you lose yourself in the identity. You're so busy trying to build a reputation, you don't even know who it is that's building the reputation. And you can end up becoming something and investing in being something that you're not and that you don't want to be anymore. You get a lot of this with pro athletes or very successful people in business. They become the thing that they've built up and then they find it very hard to let it go. You can see it say Johnny Depp. He always dresses like he is Captain Jack Sparrow. You know, he's become the role. Whereas you've got to wonder, does he really need to put that much effort into wearing eyeliner and bangles all the time? You know, he's become the thing that he's trying to make people see him as. Being popular. That's a terrible reason to do things socially. And that's where a lot of the kind of worst personalities come out. The, the Dan Bilzerian types who are just doing everything to get more likes on the board, to be seen as the funnest, best person to look up to. It's very easy to lose yourself in this, even when it's working well. And of course, it's just a shallow reward. Instagram models, all these people that appear to be sharing their lives with others, but all they're doing is trying to climb the ladder and be seen as the best. And it's a very lonely journey. There's also what appears to be the opposite, which is trying to be controversial or unpopular. You think of people like Milo Yiannopoulos, even Donald Trump. These people that appear to be activists for a certain cause, or they appear to be like ruffling feathers and draining the swamp, whatever they call it, but they're kind of deliberately contrarian. They're they're deliberately against things as as a first response, which means you don't know what they really think or really believe. Because they just automatically react with the negative. They're always trying to not fit in. 
which is equally as insecure as trying to fit in. Trying to control and dominate. You get this with people who get put into a manager position that they're not ready for, and they have bullying as a leadership style. They think leading is making people do things. So a lot of people who try to lead others end up just becoming controlling, because they're not trying to be leaders, they're trying to be in control, which are two different intentions. Avoiding detection. This is a common one for shy people or people who identify as introverts. I won't say introverts, I'll just say people who identify as introverts, because introversion and shyness are not the same thing. But people who, you know, they might call themselves a good listener, you know, because what they're really saying is they don't want to talk and stand out. They blend into the background. Their intention is to avoid being seen, avoid being noticed, and therefore reduce the risk of rejection and embarrassment and whatever else they think that's going to happen if people notice them. Again, being a quiet listener, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just doing it for this reason is very unhealthy. And that's what I'm really saying about all of this stuff is there's a lot of behaviors that could be done for these reasons and the behavior behavior itself is fine, but the reason undermines it. So I can be funny and make someone laugh. That's, That's fine, unless I'm trying to make them laugh. Then it becomes unhealthy. You know, if I need them to laugh to feel good about myself, then it becomes unhealthy. I can act consistently that builds a reputation. And really, anyone of integrity will naturally do that. But if I'm trying to build a set reputation, if I want people to see me a certain way, and that's why I'm behaving, I'm not really building a reputation based on integrity. I'm building kind of a fake life. It's the same with people sharing on Instagram or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with sharing your life with people unless you're trying to get approval, unless you're trying to be popular. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing, being controversial, as long as it's genuine. But if you're doing it just to be the controversial person, essentially you're just building a reputation. There's also the reasoning of trying to prevent confrontation or avoid disapproval. Again, nothing wrong with breaking up a fight. Unless the reason is you don't want any confrontation or conflict to exist in the world. Or should I say you don't want any uncomfortable emotions to exist in your little bubble. So what looks like mediation as support is really just controlling manipulation. And revenge. Revenge is a common motive you see in the social world that goes unspoken. You know, maybe you sleep with a girl to get revenge on your ex. Maybe you tell a better joke than your friend to get revenge on to get revenge on him for outshining you. Maybe you try to be as popular as possible to get revenge on all the bullies who made fun of you in high school. Revenge is a very, very dangerous motive. In terms of kind of your mind and philosophy, revenge is a dark hole. This is where people can do things they couldn't believe themselves capable of, acts of violence and deception that they didn't think that they would ever do, but revenge can take you to a place that nothing else can take you to. People could do anything in the name of revenge. And the reason that this isn't helpful, it's kind of like using hate to build love. Hate only builds more hate. Revenge is really a form of hate. So you're scoring points and you call that success, but really all you're doing is provoking and aggravating your own inner wounds. So in the social world, that's the kind of common poor intentions I see. Approval seeking, reputation building, trying to stand out, trying to control, trying to not stand out, trying to prevent uncomfortable emotions, trying to beat other people, trying to get revenge. If you're doing anything for those reasons, I can almost guarantee you that at least in the long run, it's going to go very poorly for you, even if the behaviors you're doing might look good on paper, like you're meeting new people, you're speaking your mind, um, you're getting out there and socializing, building relationships. That might all sound good, but if you're doing it for these reasons, it's all going to fall apart eventually. You can do all of those things without needing these reasons to do it. There are much healthier reasons, which we'll talk about at the end of this. Next, I want to talk about health. I think the number one poor intention that people bring to healthcare is appearance trying to look good. Physically, that's the most obvious one. It's the reason the guys at the gym wear those tiny little singlets that reveal as much of their body as legally possible. You know, they're just basically just covering their nipples. 
you know it's the reason that cyclists wear all that fancy like tight fitting gear even though unless you're racing in the olympics you don't need all that wind avoidance you know um there's a lot of appearance-based reasons that people do things in the health world and the problem with that is your appearance is very very unreliable indicator of health okay you can have abs and biceps and still be incredibly unhealthy talk to any professional bodybuilder they look the best when they're on stage but they're actually hugely at risk health-wise at that point they've dehydrated themselves they've been eating very poorly they look great but if they were to keep up what they need to do to look like that, they would die. So appearance is not a good indicator of health. In fact, and you know, I'm not arguing for the dad bod exactly, but the latest research I've shown is that carrying a little bit of extra body fat guarantees a kind of longevity of life that most other body shapes don't guarantee. But it's different for each person. There's some people for whom being very skinny is healthy, and others for whom being very skinny is an eating disorder. The appearance doesn't actually tell you anything. There are some people like I saw um, these three sumo wrestlers. Uh, they did a sprinting race. They run faster than I can. And they're the size of houses. If they can run that fast without getting puffed, they're probably pretty fit. At least fitter than I would be. right? So they might look big and my brain might say they don't look healthy, but they probably are. In fact, there are very few professions that have better control over their bodies than sumo. So your appearance and doing it for your appearance can actually lead you away from health. Steroids, weird supplements, you know, different exercises focused on specific muscles rather than strength and flexibility and endurance. There's a lot of a lot of bad tracks we can go down when we're trying to look good rather than be healthy. Beating others physically. You know, a classic example is somebody who's entering competitions, physical sport-based competitions, but they're deliberately entering competitions that they're likely to win. You know, they're not really trying to challenge themselves, they're trying to beat others. Or you get the guys at the gym who, like, come up next to you and start doing uh, bicep curls with a slightly heavier weight than you're using. You're like, dude, are you even paying attention to your own body? Do you know if that's what you should be lifting right now? Or did you just see a guy you could beat? And you wanted to come and show the veins on your forearms. There are a lot of guys who compete physically for the wrong reasons. Competition's fine. We'll talk about some good reasons to compete later. But a lot of the time in the physical health space, competition is these very insecure, needy reasons, trying to prove yourselves. Interestingly, I think a lot of the most successful sports people are actually successful purely driven by insecurity. Uh, I know a few people who work with athletes when they've retired, and a lot of them just fall to pieces when they've retired because they can't prove themselves anymore. They can't retire peacefully because they just they were driven by demons the entire time. Andre Agassi's book, ah, uh, what's it called? I think Open. Good name for a book. He hated tennis. <laughs> he hated every single minute of it, and he feels almost like it was a waste of his life. Yet from the outside, he appears very successful. That's doing things for the wrong reasons, you know. Um, trying to belong. I see a lot of that in the health world, where people aren't doing things because they've empirically decided it's best for their health. They're doing it because they want to fit in with a group. CrossFit, vegans, bodybuilders. There's nothing wrong with participating in any of these kind of paradigms, but doing it just to fit in with the group can lead you down a dark path. CrossFit, for example, could be great exercise, but they do use a lot of bad form. So if someone was really doing it for the right reasons, they would be careful about their form. But I've seen a lot of them doing these like U-bend deadlifts where the spine is the main instrument and just makes like it hurts my back watching it. I'm thinking you're just doing that to be CrossFit. You're not doing that for the actual strength of your back. So a lot of people that get into something to belong to a group which is a terrible reason to do something for your health because we've each got individual genetics and traits and body types and everything. We need to find the right thing for ourselves, not just join what everybody else is doing. Because if you're doing what everyone else is doing, the only thing you're guaranteed is that it's not precisely what's best for you because that will be unique to you personally. Trying to prove yourself to others. I see that a lot in the health space. You know, maybe somebody made fun of you and now you're trying to prove that you can lose weight or 
Maybe you were bullied and now you want to become the biggest guy ever. I see that a lot of martial arts, especially the rougher ones like MMA and kickboxing. I used to do Muay Thai. And the amount of times you get in a ring for a practice spar with someone and they just try to rip your head off. And you're thinking, dude, why are you here? It's like, I'm pretty sure I heard one guy say, fuck you, father, when he was punching me in the face. You know, like he was there for some very dark fucking reasons. Um, which means, you know, and he hurt me. He viciously hurt me, which actually put me off going. This is the kind of thing that people do, especially in martial arts, is they bully and dominate others to try and prove something. And all they do is ruin the experience for everyone else. Is that really what you want to be doing? Is that really why you're there? And of course, another sort of more subtle one is people use an obsession with health to avoid other areas of life. You know, people become gym rats or they become these kind of like diet obsessed people. And they use it as a very subtle excuse to avoid working on their career or socializing in some sort of healthy way with people outside of their circle or whatever it is. It's kind of like a comfort zone, an excuse to not change any other area of your life. And that, again, I think is poor reasoning to work on your health. As I mentioned earlier, we will get into what I think are good reasons later on. Obviously, this is very opinionated sounding as a podcast but I've really got to emphasize this based on over a decade of working with people on their confidence and seeing time after time again what kind of intentions cause a bad life, unenjoyable, miserable, low quality, low results life versus the kind of intentions that create a wonderful, enjoyable, satisfying life. So I'm not making this stuff up as in like, I just think this is what people should do. This is really reporting on hundreds of case studies that all clearly lean in a certain direction. Let's talk about vocation, your career. There are two financially based reasons that I think are very poor intentions. Actually, you know, three when it comes to your career. One is trying to make as much money as possible as the primary reason for doing what you do. Two is safety and security financially. And three is passive income. The problem is, is that with all of these is that money is deemed as the primary mover. Money is deemed as the goal. You've got to understand that money isn't real. So to have your intention on a fiction is kind of bizarre. How do I explain this? Money is numbers on a screen. It's pieces of paper that we print the number 20 on and say this is worth 20. You can see it in the way the economy and the stock market goes up and down that it basically doesn't exist. It's all based on our agreements with each other. If your security, your self-worth, your sense that you're doing the right thing depends on money, that means it depends on a fiction. It's like using the intention of the weather. You know, if the weather is good, then you're having a good day. If the weather's bad, you're having a bad day. That's what it's like basing your quality of life on money. You could have the exact same amount of money sitting in your bank account and the economy will make it go up and down in value. You're doing nothing with it. You put $10 in your bank account, tomorrow it's worth nine, the day after it's worth 11, then it drops to five, then it goes up to 17 and you haven't done anything. That's a very dangerous thing to base your sense of safety and security and well-being Just ask the people of Greece when the government just took half their money. Ask them if it was a good idea to base your sense of security on that. The primary thing I see people do is they go into jobs they do not like because money is their primary mover. And they don't even have to do these jobs. They tell themselves they have to, which is a huge lie, because you were born not working. And then they just force themselves to do 40, 50, 60, sometimes up to 70 hours a week when you include commuting, doing something they don't like with the one life that they've got, neglecting their family and friends and hobbies and health to do something they don't like to build up a fictional resource of money to buy things that they're not even going to have time to use or even enjoy very much. I can't see how that's a good idea on how to live. I can't see how in all the ways you could live, that's the best one. So if you're doing your job for the primary purpose of stockpiling money to either spend or save and protect yourself, and you don't even like the work you're doing, or it's not the best available work you could be doing if you put some effort in, 
then in my opinion, you're absolutely wasting your life. And I know all your excuses, right? You've got to provide for your kids and all that kind of stuff or whatever. There's still really no excuse for why you can't look for a more enjoyable job. It really isn't. Just look. If you're listening to this podcast, it means you have internet access. That means you can look for better jobs. Maybe it takes you a year to find just one. So what? It took me six years to build my coaching business. I'm not that smart or that fucking determined. So if I can do it, you can too. Don't bullshit yourself. So money. I think money's just like the worst reason to choose what job you should be doing. I know early in life, in some circumstances, it is a good reason. If you're bare bones and you've got to put food on the table, sure. But there's no reason why you can't spend 10 minutes a week on the internet looking for a better job. Hell, even look for a better paid job. But, moving on. Another uh, kind of problematic uh, intention I see in the career space is trying to be seen as the best. Saw a lot of this in my old job, where people would try to get promotions and try to outrank each other and try to outperform each other without really knowing why they're doing those things in the first place, other than they want to beat other people. I see people climb to the top of the corporate ladder just because they're trying to climb, and then they get there and they go, I don't even like this industry. Why am I doing here? Trying to beat others, pointless competition, is not the same as competing to challenge yourself and improve yourself. It's usually just about winning. And winning isn't necessarily a healthy motive for doing things. Again, in the vocation space, you see control. People trying to control others. Often disguised under the umbrella of leadership. But controlling people is not the same as leading. In fact, leading, you don't try to control people at all. That's what makes a great leader is they don't need to try and control people. So if you're throwing your weight around or using Machiavellian manipulation techniques to keep people under your thumb, that's about neediness and insecurity. You want things to be done your way. You don't like things being out of control. Chaos makes you insecure. There's no amount of people in the world you can control to get rid of that feeling. I mean, look at all the horrendous dictators throughout the world, from Hitler to Pol Pot. These guys could never get enough control. They could take over the whole world and they'd still feel insecure. So trying to control only creates insecurity. It doesn't solve it. One of the worst reasons I see for anyone's job is because I have to. They do long hours, stressful work, shit that they hate, and they say, I've got to do it. I need this job. Why? Why that one? How will you ever survive the rest of your life before you got this job if you really need it? Why does it have to be this particular one? There may be a few of you who can prove to me with your circumstances that you literally have no other options. Like you're living in the depths of the Middle East and the Taliban's going to kill you if you don't like put their guns together for them. Okay, I'll buy that. But if you're sitting there in Sheffield working at a cafe that you hate and telling me that you have to, I don't buy it. I don't fucking buy it. I don't care how many kids you have. I don't care how much debt you have. The idea that you couldn't be looking for a better job, that you don't even have a second spare to do a job search and send out an application, I don't buy it. Not for a second. Not for a second. You're just locking yourself in because you don't like change or some other weird insecurity is holding you back. Another bad one I see is people doing things that other people said you should do. This is, I'm speaking really to artists here. It really, fuck, it breaks my heart how many great artists and potential athletes and other people who are outside the kind of norm of vocation are doing shit jobs that they hate, sitting in an office somewhere, punching numbers into a spreadsheet, hating every second of it, trying to lie to themselves that it's not too bad, when really they should be painting or dancing or throwing a javelin or writing a book. But they tell themselves, no, well, I can't, that, that stuff's not normal. You know, my teacher said I have to do this and that this is a secure paycheck and, you know, I've joined my dad's business because his dad before him built it and blah, blah, blah. And you're just doing what other people said you should do. I've got a secret to tell you. Nobody has a fucking clue what they're doing. 
anybody tells you what you should be doing with your life is just trying to hide the fact that they are fucking lost. Alright, I promise you, anybody who really does know what they're doing with their life is not going to tell you what you should do. Because they know that you have to figure it out for yourself. They might encourage you to try doing what you love doing and push you to like break out of the mold that you're in, but they'll never tell you that you should do something, especially not for safety and security reasons. If anyone says you should do it because it's a secure job, what they're really saying is, I'm an insecure little bitch who likes to control people so I don't have to face my own fear of change. Don't listen to those people, okay? They're not bad people, but they've certainly got bad intentions. There's a couple other reasons keeping as busy as possible. Like, there was a study done, ah, God, it was by a journalism magazine. They did a survey. Anyway, I'll dig it up and hopefully post the link below. But they came to a conclusion that in an eight-hour workday, most people are only productive for about three or maybe four of those hours at best. I saw at my old job when I was a manager that the team I was, you know, sort of thrust into to manage, they were doing really long hours, like 10 to 12 hour days. And this is on government salary. So there was no bonus for these extra hours. And their excuse was kind of like, you know, my workload's too big. And I thought, you know what? I don't think it is. I'm a manager. I'm looking at your workload. I used to be a probation officer. I know how long it takes to do this work that I'm looking at. You're turning a six-hour day into a 12. How are you doing this? So I gave them a boundary. I said, you've all got to go home by 4.30. You make it work. And they did. They could easily do it. They were dragging out their work somehow, giving themselves extra tasks, making it harder on themselves. They didn't need to. I suspect some people actually do this to avoid going home. You know, some people, they don't like their home life. They don't like to stop and think and consider what they're doing with their lives. Work becomes this kind of opiate that they just drown their brain in so that they don't have to face the rest of the world. They use it at work as an excuse to not spend time with their kids, to not exercise, to not pursue their passions and hobbies. If they're not allowed to work on the weekend, they just get blind drunk and like blitz the weekend away so that they can get back to work. Workaholics are very rarely driven by passion. That's very, very unlikely. I think most of the time they're driven by fear. So those are some of the poor reasons I think people get into their careers. Lastly, we've got hobbies. I honestly think hobbies are underrated. People talk about hobbies as if it's some side thing that you do if you've got a bit of spare time and you need to fill it up, but I think hobbies are the source of most of your life's enjoyment. You know, I do this work for a very passionate reasons, but this work's quite serious for me. You know, like I'm trying to like have a big impact on the world and, and trying to solve some very serious, painful, suffering-related issues for people. But when I cook or dance or play guitar or just fart around with something, that's when I really get to unwind and enjoy myself. I'm, I'm a real kind of flaky hobby person. I must have had two dozen different hobbies in my time. I get to the point where I buy all the equipment and take all the classes and stuff, and then eventually I lose interest and pick up something else. But that's what's beautiful about hobbies. Who gives a fuck? Do whatever you want whenever you feel like it. It's really just a way to enjoy life. So hobbies could and should be a huge part of your life that gives you plenty of enjoyment and gives you meaning and purpose. Unfortunately, a lot of people are involved in hobbies, I think, for the wrong reasons. Though I've left hobbies to last because I think most of the time people do them for good reasons. Trying to fit in. I think that's a terrible reason to do a hobby. You know, all your friends are doing it, or it's the popular thing in your culture, or whatever. <laughs> you see this a lot in sports, like me and all my friends played rugby all through high school, but I think only about a third of us actually enjoyed rugby that much. You know, we always complained about training and stuff and shirked our workload on the field. And the few people who did enjoy rugby, you know, they ended up doing it professionally or they still do it to this day. The rest of us ditched it as soon as we started getting too many injuries. So a lot of people just do things because that's what's expected of you, which means you're just sucking up time that could be better spent doing something you actually like. You know, particularly... I played rugby because it was masculine and guys in my culture are expected to be hard and violent. And because of that, I didn't discover dancing until I was almost 30. And yet dancing's my thing. Far more than rugby. I like watching rugby. 
And I like martial arts. I like watching people beating each other up, but I don't like getting hit in the face. You know, some people do, and I totally understand that. I don't. You know, I'm not a huge, like, masochist. I'm not a fan of pain. But dancing, you know, holding a woman close to you and moving around to the music, I, I dig that. But I missed out on that for three decades because I was too busy trying to fit in. Trying to prove yourself. For similar reasons, I see people getting into hobbies like there's that mid-age crisis one where it's either running or golf. And you can't just do it by yourself. You have to compete. You have to, you know, beat your handicap or whatever, or you have to do the half marathon around the bay. You can't just run quietly on your own. Seems like people need to see you running and need to know that you're doing it, you know. So you're competing, but without any fun. You're not even enjoying the competition. I see a lot of people ruin their hobbies with that. They actually get into hobbies for all the right reasons, but then their need to compete and prove themselves ruins it. Saw that a lot in dancing. It almost happened to me. You know, I got too competitive with dancing, almost, to the point where I was like, I'm not sure I even enjoy the training anymore. I wasn't too bad with that, but I was really right on the edge. And I saw a lot of dancers, you know, they go win a few medals and then you never see them again because they've just killed their love for it. Choosing based on attractiveness. Some people get into hobbies because they read somewhere that people will like them more if they do that sort of thing, you know. You know they're into this one because they're always trying to make sure people know about it as much as possible. They want to be seen to be doing it rather than actually do it. In the music scene, I saw a few people in bands for this reason. You know, and there was times where, quite shameful for myself, like I played in a covers band for a while. 90% of the songs I didn't like. But I just liked being seen as being the guy in the band. And I liked the girls looking at me while I was playing and stuff. It was very bad reasons. Whereas when I was playing with my metal band, you know, we'd be on stage with no one watching, fucking bar stuff, putting the stools on the tables and ignoring us and nobody else there. And I fucking loved it, right? That's the right reason to play music. I didn't care, you know. People have a kind of sunk cost or loyalty problem sometimes that keeps them in a hobby. Like they started doing something, maybe they started playing piano because their parents forced them to when they were nine. And now they still play piano because they're the person who's known as the piano player and they put so many hours into it and they're good at it now, so they have to keep doing it. Very similar to what Andre Agassi talks about, you know, he just kept doing tennis because people forced him to and because he was excellent at tennis, uh, but never doing it because he actually liked it. And, and I see a lot of people doing hobbies for that reasons or staying in a sports team or a band or whatever for that reason. They put so much effort into it, they've invested so much in it, they feel this weird obligation or loyalty towards it, or even their identity is now wrapped up in it. They wouldn't know who they are without it. Agassi talked a lot about that too. He, if he's not a tennis champion, then who is he kind of thing. That's a terrible reason to get into a hobby, or should I say stay with a hobby. Busyness. Similar to people who overwork, some people pack their weeks full of hobbies just so they don't have to think or take care of their health or spend time with friends or... Whatever it is they're trying to avoid. I did a little bit of this with dancing. I, I was dancing like five nights a week. Partly I think it was I was trying to prove that I have an active life. Partly it was like when I get into something, sometimes I get too obsessed. It's like I get really passionate and I burn myself out early. It's unsustainable. And partly it was, you know, if I'm dancing, I don't need to be thinking about who I am or what I'm doing with my life. It's a great distraction. It certainly helped me avoid like more difficult forms of socializing. Now, it wasn't the only reason I danced. I did have a lot of healthy reasoning in my dancing as well, which kind of carried me through. And I should mention that, actually, at this point. Most of the time when you do something, there's going to be a mixture of reasons. That's totally normal and totally human. We're not really trying to get to some sort of purity here. I don't even know if that's possible. What we're trying to do is make it the primary intention, make healthy intentions the primary reason you do something. So, for example, I might try to make someone laugh, but ultimately I'm just trying to be honest. So, I may be 70% honest, 30% approval seeking. That's actually okay. As long as the majority is in the value space, you're probably alright and you're not going to lead yourself down a bad path. As long as if you took away the other intention, you'd still want to do it. Like, maybe a bit of the reason you do dancing is because you like to be seen as a dancer. 
But if no one knew about it, you'd still do it because you have other better reasons for doing it as well. So don't beat yourself up if you have a mixture of intentions, if you're a bit needy and insecure mixed in with valued and confident, because that's just human. I don't even know if that's avoidable. But it's about when more than 50% of the reason you're doing this is for an unhealthy intention, like if you took that intention away, you wouldn't even do the thing. So we've talked a lot about what the wrong intentions are, and this was really an episode designed to just call you out and say, why are you really doing what you do? Have you thought about it? Is it the best reason to be doing something? Is it actually the source of your misery, that reason? Because you're doing the right thing, but you're fucking it up with the wrong reason. So let's talk about good reasons. Okay, again, this isn't as opinionated as it might sound. This is based kind of on empirical research here. Case study evidence isn't exactly the best, but I've coached literally hundreds of people And when you include the number of criminal offenders I've worked with, it gets into the thousands. And I've carefully documented and measured what they do and why they do it. And it's just undeniable that if you follow the intentions I'm about to talk about, then you're probably going to have a great life. And if you follow the intentions I've just finished talking about, then you're probably going to have a shitty one. So overall, the bad intentions are anything where you're trying to seek a happy feeling, you're trying to seek approval, you're trying to succeed over others, you're trying to prove yourself to others, you're taking revenge for some past pain, or you're working from your wounds, as it's sometimes said. When you're on autopilot, you're not thinking about why you're doing something, like you're following the rules, or you're just trying to feel safe. Those kind of intentions wreck your life. So let's now finish off by talking about the ones that improve your life. Keeping in mind that what you do could stay exactly the same. You're just going to change why you do it, which will slightly adjust how you do it as well. But let's say you're going to a dance class for all the wrong reasons right now. By the end of this, you might still go back to that dance class. You're just going to change why you're going there. So ultimately, good reasons are about valued living. Now, we've got a whole course in Brojo discovering your core values. So if you don't know what yours are yet... Grab that course, it's free to everybody, and at least start with a draft list of good intentions, shall we say. But valued living really is about figuring out what it means for you to live with integrity, what intentions you need to bring to your life to be really, truly you without fail, and then translating that into each and individual behavior and activity that you get involved in. See, I can go to a job that I hate, but I can change the reason I'm going there and it becomes an act of integrity. So for example, like when I was in Department of Corrections near the end, I was really frustrated with the work because of the bureaucracy and the government's kind of thumb on my neck that I couldn't be free to do what I wanted. And then as I started setting up my coaching practice, I realized that Working at Corrections allowed me to build up capital for my job, for my new career as a coach, as well as provide me with good training and expertise to help me be a better coach. So now my reason to go to work was to learn and grow and provide for my future, whereas before it was just to get paid doing something I hate. So I kept going to that job for a while, but for completely different reasons, and it totally changed the way I felt about it. Rather than a suppressing job that like weighed down on me and and kind of made me feel like I was wasting my life, now it became an investment in my future and it felt like a very good idea to go to work. So you can do that, you can keep up doing what you're doing and just change the reason why once you get in touch with your values. But there's more to it, not just values, and I'll talk about some other good reasons. Impressing yourself. I've often talked about that being the number one I guess most concise formula to building confidence is to impress yourself. And I don't mean with results, not impressing yourself with an A plus or a gold medal or money in the bank account, but impressing yourself with effort, with courage, with responsibility. Again, it's more about values, but it's not really about results. It's impressing yourself with why you did it. So maybe you go to talk to a stranger, not to make them like you, but because you're scared of talking to strangers and you want to be brave. So you impress yourself with bravery. You know, maybe you apply for the promotion not to get more money, but again, to put yourself out there, to back yourself, to respect yourself. So think of ways that you can engage in your day-to-day activities in a way that impresses you. 
You know, you could just quickly make your lunch. Or you could look up a new recipe and challenge yourself to cook something unfamiliar, just to impress yourself with your own cooking. It doesn't even matter if it tastes bad, it's the attempt that matters. It's the attempt that makes you go, yeah, I'm living my life, I'm impressed by me. I want to be me, this guy's awesome, or girl. Another great reason to do things is to follow a philosophy that you deeply believe in. I don't mean following a philosophy dogmatically, like following stoicism just so you can tell people that you're a stoic. That's again bad reasoning. But let's say you've read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius and you go, fuck, I love this. This is great. And then when you go to do something, you think, well, what would Marcus do in this situation? And you try to kind of role model or model off him. You kind of think, I'll try and act like a Roman emperor right now. You know, I'll see how that works. Or maybe you're really into Taoism and you're asking yourself, what would it mean to be one with this situation right now? What would it mean to let go of the outcomes and just be? And so your intention as you behave is actually to follow a philosophy or test a philosophy to see if it works for you. That's a great reason to do things. It's very present and it helps you even if it turns out that you're like, this philosophy isn't for me. You've actually become wiser through that experience. You know, I briefly dabbled in some Epicurean philosophy, which is basically like pleasure being the primary goal. Realize that doesn't really work for me, but now I know that. So when I find a philosophy like Stoicism that's kind of counter to Epicureanism, I can immediately identify this is probably right for me because I know it's wrong for me. So you're wiser regardless. Doing things to build your own philosophy is a great reason to do things. Now, I've got to be careful when I say this next one, but caring for yourself and your loved ones. Now, I'm not saying self-sacrifice. You know, ruining your own life to raise your children is not a good reason for doing things. But finding an action that takes care of both you and them at the same time is a brilliant reason for doing something. Something that gives them respect, but also respects yourself. That helps you bond with them, connect with them, and enjoy your own life more while providing for them at the same time. So I have no problem with people taking care of those that they love, as long as it's not for people-pleasing reasons, self-sacrifice, and self-deception. It has to also be for your own benefit. I mean, ultimately, I think, philosophically speaking, the most wonderful kind of intention you can have, or action you can take, is one that benefits everyone involved, including yourself. If everybody wins, I don't care what kind of weird insecurities or guilt come up for you when you do it, if everybody wins, that's really the ultimate piece of behavior. But winning doesn't mean everybody gets a result that gives them instant gratification. It means everybody's quality of life and well-being is improved by the experience for the longer term. So, for example, I might run a workshop and I get paid to do it and I get approval for doing it, but everybody there, including myself, walks away a better person. Well, then that's a great activity to do. Everybody wins. Everybody thought it was equally valuable or everybody at least took value from it. So caring for yourself and loved ones and people you care about all at once without sacrificing yourself, that's a great reason to do things. It's very cosmopolitan to do it that way. You know, what's good for the greater whole is good for the individual. A great reason is taking care of your future self. You know, budgeting is a great example of this. You might not enjoy budgeting in the moment, but I can tell you right now from my experience, after a lifetime of poorly managing my finances, I'm about two and a half, maybe three years into a, after, I should say, three years after a decision my wife and I made to really properly budget, and I read a lot of books about it, and learned about how the rich manage money and all this kind of stuff, and we are just reaping the benefits now. Like, my, how old am I? 37? 36? I fucking can't even remember. My 34-year-old self has really taken good care of me and my partner, you know, our, that older version of ourselves set the current version of ourselves up for a good life. So anything you do now that pays out in the longer term is almost certainly going to be valuable behavior. That doesn't always play out. Like somebody can do a job to save lots of money, but the job sucks. Well, you could do a job you like and save lots of money too. That's a better option there. But generally, like, you might eat something that's less delicious but more healthy now so that you have more energy in the future. You know, you might 
say no to a friend and confront them now so that you can spend more time finding a better social circle so that your future social situation is more enjoyable. Taking care of your future self is usually, but not always, a great reason to do something. Exploring the world, getting a range of experience. The let's just see what happens approach. It's a great reason to go into something. We get one life, as far as I'm concerned, and there is such a vast array of opportunities of experience right at your doorstep. A lot of people, when they get to the end, they regret not trying more things, not getting out there more, not meeting more people, spending more time with their loved ones, and so on. You know, if you want to find great reasons for doing things, uh, look up the top regrets of the dying. You know, what you'll see is, you know, their intentions were poor. Like the people who worked really hard to save money, now they regret not spending time with their kids. You know, if their intention had been to spend as much quality time with their family as possible, they wouldn't have that regret on their deathbed. A lot of people have a lot of the same regrets. Humans are basically more the same than we are different from each other. So learn from those who have made the mistakes and don't repeat them. Testing yourself and growing. Every morning I have a cold shower. There's some research to say there's some sort of potential health benefits in it. I'm not entirely convinced by that research. What I do know is that it's uncomfortable and it requires bravery every single time. And that means every single day I make myself a little bit less fragile. And that alone is a good enough reason to do it. Being uncomfortable in and of itself is often a good reason to do something. And I don't mean masochism, I don't mean trying to harm yourself. What I mean is emotional discomfort, doing something you don't really feel like doing, just so that you can become a little less fragile in that space. You know, I'd go and talk to strangers a lot for three months, it's not so much so that I can meet friends and stuff, it's just because talking to strangers was uncomfortable. And I kept doing it until it wasn't anymore, and because of that, social situations are so much more easier for me now. So testing yourself and growing through challenge and discomfort makes you anti-fragile. And some things are good to do just because you don't want to do them. It sounds counterintuitive, but, but once you've practiced this, you'll realize it's true. It sounds counterintuitive, but once you've practiced this, you'll realize the wisdom in it. Doing things for structure if you have a chaotic life, that can be a good reason. Let's say you have a really crazy job, every day is different. Maybe having a morning routine just to provide that structure to counterbalance the chaos can be a good idea. Having lots of structure just so your whole life is controlled is not good reasoning. But balancing chaos with structure could be, and vice versa. If your life is too structured, then getting a bit wild sometimes, getting a bit sort of spontaneous and, and freestyling things a bit, just to mix it up. That can be a good reason. Anything that reduces shame and builds your confidence is a good reason for doing something. Even if that thing is temporary, it has no lasting result, there's no medal, there's no points on the board, there's no money in the account, there's nobody who likes you more, but doing so reduces your shame and builds your confidence, then I say do it. Do as many of those things as possible. If you, <laughs> if you just filled your free time with being shameless... At the end of a year, you wouldn't even recognize yourself, but you would fucking love who you were. Guaranteed. Role modeling and leadership. Again, that kind of cosmopolitan approach where you do what's good for yourself in a way that's also good for others. You're trying to hit as many birds with one stone as you can kind of thing. You know, for example, I might make a video where I reveal a vulnerable truth about myself to be more shameless, but in doing so, I also model shamelessness for others and help them feel sort of less alone in their shame. It's kind of like having a huge impact with one small action. It can be little things. I had to uh, clean a car. That's right, I borrowed a car when I was last in New Zealand. I had to clean it. I had all the cleaning equipment out. I thought, well, then I'll wash my mum's car as well. Not only was an act of giving on my part, and washing the car was kind of physical exercise as well, but then somebody else gets a clean car as well. Like, lots of people winning, and me kind of leading as well. 
You want to think of like, if someone's watching you, what are they going to learn from this behavior? Not what are they going to judge you and are they going to like you? But more, am I showing them how to be a good person? There's a lot of virtue signaling about these days, I think the term is. You know, people making it look like they're a good person, but not really acting on it. I say do the opposite. Shut the fuck up about what you believe in and just act on it. Again, Marcus Aurelius from Stoicism. Let us not argue about what it means to be a good man. Just be one. So you can do it for yourself and others simultaneously. Imagine people are watching you and they're going to copy you. What kind of person do you want them to be? Show it to them. The biggest summary I can do for this is the best possible reason to do anything is for yourself. And I don't mean selfishness. I don't mean instant reward at somebody, you know, at the cost of somebody else's pleasure. What I mean is setting yourself up for a high quality of life. Improving your well-being. That is primarily the best reason you can do anything because everybody else benefits. A lot of people believe in self-sacrifice. If I do something that hurts me and it's good for others, I'm a good person. Nope, you're not. You're just not. Okay? Or at least you're not as good as you could be. Because you could be doing something good for yourself and other people at the same time. Rather than you suffering and you role modeling you know, self-sacrifice and poor behavior to others and children watching you and such. What you can do is take such good care of yourself that it spills over onto other people. And everybody benefits either from watching you or from your improved self taking care of them. Anyway, my voice is getting sore now. My voice is getting sore. My throat's getting sore. So I'm going to stop talking. But I'm telling you right now, getting your reasons sorted will do more for your quality of life than just about anything else. Hope you enjoyed that. Please get in touch. Dan at brojo.org if you want any further support with this. And I'll see you all next time. Ciao.